NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hello, 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 everyone. It's Brian again. It's sunny in the Northeast, and we haven't had rain in a long time, but I'm looking out at a blue sky, and it's wonderful. Um, I know that all of us have to soak in these days because many of us are either back in school or we're heading back to school or heading back to teaching uh, at the university level. Um, I have to admit something. I, I haven't been able to sleep for a month because of this show and definitely didn't sleep last night because I'm so excited. I've been anticipating this for, for quite a while. Um, you see, Tanya and I are the luckiest literacy leaders in the whole world. We are, Tanya, because we, we get to host this right time, and it's become an ultimate treasure for us in the National Writing Project. Um, and earlier this year, we interviewed Kimberly Jones and Geely Siegel, who told us, you must, you must, you must read Does My Body Offend You? And without us, you know, minutes later, or even during the show, I think I already ordered the book. They gave it a rave review, and I listened to it in my car, and I bought many copies, and I've been handing it out to teachers and school children because it's actually middle grade and high school students um, because it's awesome. I'm the middle boy between two girls. And so body issues were always in conversation in my household. And so I was really excited to see a text come out addressing some of these, these issues that are very timely, but mostly the inequity, inequities that we experience in our K-12 schools because of the way body shaming occurs. So I am thrilled to have authors, Maida Cuavis and Marie Marquette in the studio, as well as my California counterpart, Tanya Baker, director of the national program. So Tanya, I've been wondering, What's been firing you up lately? Well, Brian, I don't know if you remember the Staples ad from probably 15 years ago where the parents are riding through Staples and saying it's the most wonderful time of the year because it's back to school time. That is how I always feel at this time of year. Teachers are going back to school. They're talking to each other and getting excited to set their classrooms up. All of that is happening. So I am, it's my favorite time of the year. And it has been since I became a teacher many, many years ago. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, but I'm also, like you, super excited to get this new book, Does My Body Offend You?, out into our community to share it with teachers and um, kids, especially young women. And um, as you know, we when we decided, when we found out that we were going to get this book to um, and these authors on right time, we were very excited. We knew there was only there was the one person we wanted to do this interview, um, and so we called Bryn Oram, and she agreed to come. So now we have this perfect blend of brilliant women for this episode of the Right Time. The work all three are doing in support of young women is astounding, especially in the times that we're living in right now. Like you, I have lost sleep with anticipation for the show. I think this is so cool. This is so cool. And the Connecticut Writing Project here in Fairfield loves Bryn and the Madison Writing Project for all their activist work that they do, all their agentive stuff for youth. It is amazing. Everyone needs to look into that. So woot, woot. And I'm ready to get this conversation going. Let's go. Do a couple of introductions first. So born and raised in Puerto Rico, Maida Cuavis is the author of the teen novels, Does My Body Offend You? and Salty, Bittersweet. Her short story, Resilient, was published as part of the anthology Foreshadow. 
an award-winning producer for CNN and co-founder of the Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. Woo -woo. She keeps her sanity by producing Buddhist meditation. She lives in Atlanta. I think we're all going to be moving to Atlanta soon. It just sounds like everything's <laughs> happening there. With her husband, her two stepsons, their fluffy cat, and a very loud chihuahua. You can find Myra on Twitter, at Myra E. Quavez, on Instagram, same place, and at her website with a .com. Our second author, Marie, Marie Marquette, Marquart, sorry, got it that time correctly, is author of YA novels, Does My Body Offend You? with Maidra. Dream Things True, The Radius of Us, and Flight Season. Her books have earned many awards and commendations, including BEA Buzz Books, Books All Young Georgians Should Read, and the Clasp America's Commendation. That's right, Commendation. And they have been shortlisted for several state book awards, including the South Carolina Young Book Award and the Missouri Gateway Readers Award. Marie has also published articles and co-authored two nonfiction books about Latin American immigration to the U.S. South and has been interviewed about her research, writing, and advocacy on national public radio, public radio, public radio International, and BBC America. There's a reason why they don't hire me, because I'm a little bit more low-key. And among many other media outlets, she lives in a busy household in Decatur, Georgia. Georgia with her spouse, four kids, several chickens, walk, walk, a dog, and a bearded dragon. And a bearded dragon. Wow. You can connect with Marie on Instagram at Marie underscribe Marquart and her website, hername.com. Handing it over to, to Tanya. And it's an honor to introduce our teacher leader as well. Bryn Oram is the co-director of the Greater Madison Writing Project at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. In her current role, she coordinates programs for youth and educators, including Rise Up and Write, Youth Press Corps, and the National Writing Project's College Career and Community Writers Program, also known as C3WP. Previously, Bryn co-founded and taught high school taught high school English at Clark Street Community School, a public charter dedicated to deep engagement through personalized, democratic, and place-based education in Middleton, Wisconsin. Bryn studied literacy and English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she earned her BA and MS. Much of her work in education has focused on equitable and innovative environments. Uh, we have a trio for this interview. Bryn, we welcome you to give a writing prompt to those who wish to pause their screen and do a little writing, or for educators out there who wish to share this with the students in their room. What's the writing prompt? Uh well, first of all, Brian and Tanya, thank you so much for the invitation to be a part of this um, with this incredible text and these amazing authors. It's like such a very special occasion to be here with all of you. So um, the prompt that I have for us to write into this text, um, it has some options in it. Um, so the, the first option would be to write about a time when you spoke up for something that is important to you or to write about a time when listening helped you understand an issue that is important to you. That's awesome. Love well, you. we wish you the best show. <laughs> Thank you, Brian and Tanya for having us. <laughs> Thank you I'm so wearing, much. I'm wearing an Atlanta hat, all in your honor. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and Bryn, Bryn, that is a beautiful writing prompt. It fits so perfectly with the book and the themes in the book. Inspired by the text. Um, <laughs> and hopefully, uh, if if folks have not already picked up the book, um, I was truly, uh, I was so excited to be a part of this. And then I read the book and then I was even more excited. And I've been telling everyone um, that I know that I get to have this incredible experience. So 
Um, I actually have like a thousand questions, um, but I tried to narrow them down and I'm sure um, Tanya and Brian will cut us off at some point. Um, but I want to get started with um, with uh, a question about your writing process. Um, I, I think there's lots of teachers who listen to this um, and maybe lots of other writers. Um, and we're all thinking about young writers as well. Um, as if folks have read the book, they know that the novel um, is divided into two chapters, um, or sorry, two narrators, um, Milena and Ruby. Um, and this is a novel with two authors. Um, so I'm curious about your writing process. Um, did you both write for both characters? Did you each take one character to write for? Um, tell me a little bit about how you wrote together and how you wrote the characters. So I love that this is your first question because Marie and I, earlier this week, we just taught a course for the Highlight Highlights Foundation about co being co-authors and co-writing a novel. So we have three hours worth of information yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of what it takes to co-write a book and lots and lots of forms. <laughs> So, you know, uh, this book, every book is different, right? The, the book, Marie and I um, have a two book deal with uh, Penguin, with Kanoff and imprint of Penguin Random House. Uh, this, the book that we're currently writing for them now, it has multiple points of view. So we are tweaking our process for that. Um, it has like, I think it's like 10, 12 different points of view. Wow. Um, and so for, for Does My Body Offend You?, uh, we decided because it was the first time that we were co-writing a book just to kind of go in, you know, go in gently and we divided, we, you know, we wanted to tell a story of intersectional feminism. Marie and I are both, you know, diehard feminists and uh, in, in, in talking, we have been critique partners for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that we uh, we were exchanging chapters for our solo projects for a long time and critiquing and helping each other edit and helping each other during the publishing journey. So we had a very strong relationship and a solid foundation in which to collaborate on such a big, you know, uh, endeavor. So um, we were talking about what to write. We had both been reading several um, books, young adult and adult that centered on themes of feminism. Um, and I was concerned that they were all written from a very white gaze. Um, there, there was very little about intersectional feminism. Um, and it was almost understood that feminism was, it, it was the same for everybody and that's not the case. Feminism looks very different if you are a woman of color um, if if you are an indigenous woman, if you come from a privileged background, if you come from a background of limited means, um, you know, there's there's these very powerful, strong intersectionalities uh, that were not being explored in this space. So Maria and I saw an opportunity to write a story from two point of views and not only explore um the experience of intersectional feminism, but also allyship, student protest. When is the right time to speak up and when is the right time to listen? So it was really wonderful to be able to take uh, the same story and explore it from two different points of view, from two different lenses. Um, and we were really deliberate about wanting to make sure that 
we could show, you know, the character that I primarily took responsibility for, Ruby, is, um, you know, a character who was kind of a diehard feminist from a very privileged background, surrounded by activists um, who came in, you know, just ready to take action, you know, no matter what, and saw this opportunity to take action when she met Malena, the character that um, uh, uh, that Maida wrote, um, and saw the what she was facing in terms of being dress coded in a pretty um, uh, just horrifying way. Um, and the kind of nuts and bolts of it, we did take primary responsibility chapter by chapter, and we would sort of trade chapters off back and forth. Uh, so Maida would write, we, we plotted the whole thing together uh, very carefully, and then Maida would write a chapter, hand it to me, I would write Ruby's chapter, hand it to her. Uh, but as we got to know the characters better and got deeper into the characters, of course, we were editing inside of each other's chapters. So for example, when Maida was writing Ruby's dialogue inside a Malena chapter, uh, you know, we would really talk it out. And I would, I would, you know, help her think about, well, how would Ruby say this? Or what, you know, what would Ruby's approach to this be? So it was very collaborative, but there were also pretty clear boundaries. And one big advantage of co-authoring is that that kind of distinction and narrative voice is a lot easier to develop when you have two authors coming in from the outset. Yeah. And Brenda, just, you know, one of the things that we're telling uh, students in this course is like this kind of work requires a lot of trust and it requires checking your ego at the door, right? Like you are working together to create something beautiful, something that hopefully will affect change and will have a lasting impact. Um, and, you know, in doing that by kind of putting your ego aside, right? You're, you're creating a space from like love, you're, you're, you're in love and joy and the beauty of working together towards something bigger than us, right? That's something that hopefully will resonate with readers um, at a higher level. And, and we have heard already, you know, this book hasn't been out in the world that long. And we've already heard from so many that they felt seen in the story. Um, you know, we have friends that were dress coded friends now in our 40s and 50s that were dress coded when they were middle school high school and they were traumatized by what happened and it's something that they still carry with that those scars as adults i i actually met someone who told me that um they were dress coded um in high school because their breasts were too big so she learned to walk hunched mm -hmm. uh hunched up and now as an adult, she has back problems because, because of it. So, I mean, these are, you know, it's not about clothing. It's not about the clothing. This is, this is about human dignity. Um, it is, it is about uh, women's rights, people's rights, not only women, because uh, the issue with dress codes affects mostly people from marginalized communities. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of deep, deep layers in, in, in the themes of this book. I thank you so much. There's so much in there <laughs> that I want to, um, circle back to you, but I, I think it's, uh, it's so lovely to hear that this collaboration was born of just the, the process of being writing partners and sharing writing um, and how you moved from, you know, handing chapter to chapter together. I think that's um, an exciting way to think about writing. I think a lot of young writers will be really inspired just by the 
the um the way in which you wrote this and I think as I was listening to you talk I had two things one is that it doesn't sound like this is a book that either one of you could have written on your own it would have been a very different story mm-hmm. um and I think having read the text that love that you have for the characters really shines through like I can feel that you love them, that that they are, they're imperfect and messy characters, um, but their their strengths and their challenges are treated with such um, such uh, graciousness uh, in, well, from their authors. I just Bring say that. Go, go ahead, Marie, go ahead. Oh, I say, you know, one of, the, one of the things we realized in the co-authoring process is that the same kind of love and compassion that we were practicing with each other in the writing process, we found being kind of infused into these characters that we, you know, have so much love for as characters and the way that they learned to care for each other through some big, messy, ugly mistakes um, is a lot like the way that we as co-authors have learned to care for each other. So it's really neat to see the way that the themes in our book kind of refer to back to the themes in our own lives as 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 writing partners although we didn't make the massive mistakes and <laughs> <laughs> no, no bras were burned in the process of yeah. writing well, no bras were burned not yet not yet maybe in that 10 character book yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly maybe when we get we'll, to- we'll talk again after that <laughs> well i you know i wanted to add thank you right that that was so beautiful and so true but i and i also wanted to add that you know when you're doing the work of writing for young people, like what we're doing, there's such a tenderness in that, you know, there, there, there's such, uh, there's such a privilege in being able to write for young people mm-hmm. because we, we have, we have perspective, right. And we can, we can give that, that wisdom and that perspective in the stories that we write in a way that is very accessible and it doesn't feel like you're talking down or that you are teaching something or that you're you know um or or trying to impart a lesson it's simply you're you're telling a story you're telling a beautiful story but it's a story told from the perspective of somebody in their 40s or 50s who's you know has all this life experience and a little bit of 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 distance from these things and can can help through the novels through the from, through reading through novel through um exploring story you can you can guide young people through different stages in their life and also celebrate just how incredibly awesome they are <laughs> you know i you know it's just <laughs> such a working with with young readers and doing school visits we just you know every time I go into a school visit I'm just awed by the passion and the creativity um, that young people are bringing into the world that uh, teens are bringing into the world and so it's just so it's so fun to be able to celebrate that passion and creativity um, through it fills you with hope yeah I mean it does it fills you with hope for the future I mean this generation is just so amazing like you know, like teens are just so involved and they care and they're passionate and and it's just so awesome to see that. Well, that's it. Actually, this is leading right into another question that I had um, about thinking about youth activism. I've been really lucky in my career to get to work with um, youth activists and advocates, lots of young people using writing to create change. 
Um, and I think in um, a lot of stories that we see about young people um, taking action, um, we see it as a headline um, or like a feel good story. And often like one cute kid is spotlighted, like look at this individual doing this thing. Um, and what I loved about Does My Body Offend You is it like cracks that story open and says, here's what happened before. And then here's some of the headlines. We see some of the press and the attention that they get. And and here's what happens after. And, yeah. and we really see um, like what it might look like uh, for young people, um, the messiness, the glory, the downfalls, the challenges, all those pieces. Um, but there's a lot of people working with uh, Melina and Ruby along the way too. Um, and so I'm curious what your hope is that this story teaches readers about working together for change, especially our young readers. Well, I'll start by saying one of the reasons, you know, when Maida and I were sort of brainstorming ideas, she brought me an idea to tell this story. And one of the reasons that I was drawn to this story was, um, yeah, so I have some youth activists in my very household. And, you know, I, I have been, you know, we're, we kind of have been living through this time when, you know, we're taken to the streets every day, right? It just felt like, you know, we were out there protesting nonstop, a whole range of issues that were so important. And watching kids, you know, take drag their parents, right? You know, to to these to these protests, to these events, um, and and just with so much passion and so much energy um, and really working for change. And then thinking about the books that that have that I was familiar with at the time that had been written about youth activism, when often kind of the protest was the culmination, you know, like you work together and then you all get out there and protest and then everything changes and it's beautiful. And we know through the, what we've been living through that, you know, the protest is only the beginning, right? You know, the, the coming together and taking action is is the beginning of a process that can be really hard and can sometimes be super demoralizing. And so, you know, for for me, I was really um, passionate about telling a story that the the energy and the the kind of collective fervor of the protest that's just so awesome was the middle of the story. And then what happens next? What happens when you know you drop your signs and you're exhausted and you wake up the next morning and things haven't changed? Then what do you do? And uh, so that's one of the things that really drew me to telling this story. And it's one of the things that I love about the way that this story unfolds. Well, and also for Marie and I, it was also important that to write a story where community, compassion, allyship, we're front and center, right? We're, we're living in a time where there's a lot of calling people out. You know, people get called out on social media. People are being told you're this, you're that. And then there's no room for compassionate action. There's no room for building bridges. There, there's no room for civil discourse, for for you know, a space for civil disagreement um, and, and, and try to like listen and understand and, 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 and put the emphasis in the questions and not the answers. So we, we really wanted to bring the values that Marie and I share um, as human beings that are in the space of social change, activism, literacy, um, into into the story you know we wanted our our characters 
to have to have those difficult conversations. And when we were writing, Marie and I would actually sit like in a table across from each other, reading each other dialogue and just saying, Malena would say this, Ruby would say this, you know, and then tweaking as, as we went. And it was one, some of the, some of the hardest scenes to write were those scenes where Malena and Ruby are in it. They're having um, to confront their fears. They're having to listen to each other. They're having to, they're seeking to understand each other and come together. Um, and, and we just wanted, you know, that message to resonate, to, to build community, um, to, you know, try to seek understanding in order to affect real and lasting change, because that change is not going to happen in a silo. I love that. I, um, I had this funny experience as I, once I started reading the book, I was like, oh, I see why Tanya and Brian wanted me to do this with you all. And I was like, so excited. And then it got like messy and hard and all these crazy things were happening. And I was like, I don't know, this might, this story might make no kids want to become activists. <laughs> and then I got to the end, no spoilers. Then I got to the end and I was like, no, it will, it will teach them how to be through the, all of the pieces and to move beyond the protest. It's not just about the part that gets the spotlight. It's about all of the things. Um, and I think that's really valuable and not something that uh, we see enough because we just see the shining parts um, or the protest or uh, the the one student standing up and speaking. Um, and there's so much more to it. And I think uh, I think the story offers that, which is really which is really powerful for you know, we did a lot of research and and many of the examples given in the book actually come from real life stories. You know, I'm a journalist. I'm a, I'm a producer for CNN. So. Uh, Marina and 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 Marie um, is an anthropologist um, as for for her uh, um, work as a professor. So like we're both very in tune into like we want to make this story as real as possible. So we just started reading about all of these stories of kids, not only in the United States but also in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, not only that we're getting dress coded, but also that we're directing. Um, uh, social justice movements in their own areas at different levels, whether it be local or, na or national. Um, and we just, we wanted the book to be as real as possible. We wanted it and not only to depict um, what happens at, at the level of the protest and the change, but also what going through an experience like that does to you as a person, how it, um, it completely shatters some of the ideas that you have of yourself and that you have of, of, of the world and of other people. And it makes you question, um, uh, you know, like the, these biases that we carry within us that go unquestioned mo most of the time, right? And what we think we know. You know, Ruby spends most of the story thinking she has all the answers, right? And then she comes to the realization that she doesn't. Um, and then Marlena spends the story thinking she's lesser than because, you know, she's got an accent. Uh, she's a, a girl of color. Uh, you know, she's she, she just had to move from Puerto Rico to Florida. Um, and she realizes how her real strength 
comes from, you know, who she is inside, right? Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, so I, I want to ask a question about the adults in the text. Um, as an adult who cares about young people, who cares about young activists, um, Melina and Ruby have a lot of adult. Also, I just want to say, I think this is a book that adults should read if they care <laughs> about young people and they care about supporting activists, because I saw myself in a lot of those characters in, uh, in lots of different things that they did. Um, so there's lots of adults, um, in the school and in families that are, um, trying to serve, um, some successfully, um, some less, uh, as, as mentors or guides. Um, for both of the girls um, and others who are trying to provide comfort or protection. Um, and so I I really do think this is, uh, this is a book that is for adults too, um, who are in relationship with young people. Um, and I, I wonder how you um, think about the adults in the text um, and what you hope readers will take from their roles in Melena and Ruby's lives. One of the things that we really were committed to doing was to um, looking at um, ideas of what it means to be a feminist across generations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have at least three generations of women who are, who really understand themselves to be feminists and, and enact that in different ways that sometimes conflict with one another. And we wanted to um, sort of bring forward and celebrate this kind of intergenerational um quality and also just be real about the about some of the frictions and challenges that come out of it and that sometimes even the most you know well-intentioned adults are making real mistakes that are going to have real consequences um so that that was one of the things that we were really committed to um and and then you know we also wanted to show um adults who offer consistent love and support because we want that in every teen's life. <laughs> and, you know, we want to be able to sort of see that modeled. Um, and in, and so for us, it's a joy to write those, those adults, um, the ones who sort of step back and help to just give, give these amazing young women space to become who they are. And, you know, bring from a craft, and story development perspective, you know, they they tell you like every story must have a villain and a you know and like there there has to be some negative character that's pushing against and all this stuff. And when Marie and I were plotting and thinking of characters, we said no one will have a bad intention. They will make mm -hmm. bad choices, and they will do uh and they will do and say questionable things but no one is going to have a bad intention mm -hmm. and that is going to be one of the pillars of of the book because we we didn't want the conflict i think it would have been too easy for the conflict to come from bad intentions yeah. because all of the 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 women in our lives uh the the you know this amazing community of intergenerational inter feminists that we have in our lives they all, they will all say conflicting things but they all come at it from a place of love mm -hmm. and we wanted the book to reflect that right that um to to believe that everyone you know we we can have um we can have different perspectives, different points of view, different ways that we're coming at it at the same place. 
Um, but for for all of the characters, what they're thinking, saying, they're valid because of their life experience, right? Mm -hmm. So so we can't assume that what's valid for me, it's it's not you know it's not for you because I don't know your story. I don't know. We we didn't know Doctor Hardaway's story. Once we know her story, we understand where she's coming from, yeah. right? And I'm not going to yeah. give any spoilers, but, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and the same thing with the abuelas and the tias mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that stuff, so. And another real joy of being able to write a dual perspective, dual point of view book with two main uh, protagonists or two main characters who are really embedded in kind of family networks yeah. is just to show how the everyday life at home and and the expectations for how you're you will behave out there in the world um you know can be just can feel so overwhelming sometimes and put so much pressure on you and you know we don't always see that out in the world or at school um and also it's just you know it creates a lot of opportunities for super fun scenes with yes. food with food in them around, <laughs> around yeah. tables yeah <laughs> yes, and it is like, like a whole nother character in the text and i just exactly. want to like see it both of the houses and be hanging oh, yeah. out with all yeah. the grandmas it's just yeah. perfect i yeah. love it yeah. <laughs> well, the, the puerto rican sings there i i lived in the dialogue the characters the food i mean it's just all it's just straight out of my life like those conversations you know sometimes I'll be writing and I would just be here by myself just laughing and writing because it's like I'm writing conversations that I know I'm writing people that I know like we've had those conversations mm -hmm. about you know piernas cruzadas like you got to keep your legs crossed and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and about the boobs because everyone yes. in my family has big boobs you know so yeah it was, yeah. It was those were the most fun to write. <laughs> I, it, you can feel that as a reader, for sure. Absolutely. And even though that's not my family experience, like I, as I was reading, I was like, oh, I remember, like, there's a corollary to it that's right. exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Immersed in it. And I'll oh tell you, God. some of those food scenes I read, I don't know, a hundred times by the time we had finished editing the book. And every time it still made me hungry. I was still <laughs> like, my God, you're killing me here. <laughs> Hopefully you had a lot of snacks while writing <laughs> but not not as good as the fabulous food no. <laughs> no, no. Hey, i just I read did. my first my debut was all about food salty bittersweet it's all about food food <laughs> is like the main character in the book so i i had gotten some experience writing about food i will admit i did start googling um a puerto rican restaurants in my area while i was reading <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly um so uh I wanted to um I wanted to ask a, another question. We've talked about this a little bit, but I just wanted to to bring this question up to if there's anything else that you wanted to add to this because we've we've spoken about it a bit already about the central topic of these um issues of dress codes. And I know this story was um born of real world stories of these kinds of things that happen to the characters happening to students um across the country in lots of different schools. Um, and really, uh, students really suffering under racist and sexist um, dress codes in their schools. Um, so this topic um, is really interesting because it is real world and it allowed you to talk about all of these really complicated and um, and allowed com um, really hard conversations between our main characters. There was a conversation between um, Melina and Ruby that I found myself like, 
my shoulders were tensed up. I was like, oh, I need to take a breath. Like this is, this is tough for them and I'm feeling it. Um, but they talk a lot and, and in the characters and in your work, um, there's conversations about race, privilege, and power um, that are really honest and really challenging. Um, why did, uh, uh, why was addressing this topic important to you? Um, and what other issues were important to you that this topic allowed you to lift up? Marie, do you, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, I think that um, dress codes are where, you know, they're the site, like the sort of physical manifestation of so many um, forces. Mm -hmm. um, that are that are working against the thriving of young people, particularly marginalized young people. Mm. And I'll say that for me, you know, I learned a lot about, um, I, you know, I knew a lot of kids who have been dress coded and I knew a lot about who was getting, you know, or I thought I knew a lot about who was getting dress coded under what circumstances. But as we research more and more, um, you know, the, 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 the shaming of bodies is happening to marginalized people, people of color, uh, people who are um, uh, who are already in marginalized communities at so much higher a rate of than you know it is to folks who are people of privilege. So it's a place. It's a really interesting place that feels accessible to start really unpacking these much broader issues. And then the other thing that's really important to me is kind of bodies and what they mean and how they mean and how we learn to love the bodies that we live in. Um, and I think talking about dress code is a great place to, to, um, to begin to explore those really complicated questions about you know, how to live in our bodies with integrity and to own our bodies as our own, while also acknowledging that our bodies have a history and connect us to our communities in many cases, to our families in many cases. Um, so it was a, it's a really, it was a, for us, it just felt like a really vibrant, fruitful place to, to center a lot of um, really broad, important conversations. So Brenna, I, I recently wrote an op-ed for CNN uh, titled What's at Stake in the Abortion Debate. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was tying the, the Roe v. Wade decision to the issues in Does My Body Offend You, dress coding issues. Um, you know, in, in the op-ed, I, I cited um, uh, something that happened to me when I was in high school. Um, I think I was 15 or 16, and I got pulled aside by my science teacher, of all people. Uh, and she, point blank, asked me if, if I was having sex with my boyfriend. Um, and she just, she needed to know because she wanted to give her opinion, right, about this, about this matter of my private life. I, I will never, that, that incident is etched in my mind. I mean, to the point that I remember the color of her, the eyeshadow in her, eye, you know, in her eyelids. Um, and in hindsight, I realized that for many women, for many girls and people of marginalized communities, their bodies, our bodies are treated as a matter of public consumption, public opinion right? Everyone has to say, um, you know, we see it in the brutality against black bodies. 
We see it um, in the violence against um, indigenous communities. Um, and it, 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 it's all because a certain type of body sends a certain type of message, right? That's kind of like the privileged mainstream white colonizers point of view. Um, and we, we, we have all become, and we're all starting to kind of awaken from these systems of oppression um, and, and the institutions that perpetuate those systems of oppression. And, and for us, the dress codes are just one more symptom in that, um, in, 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 in those, uh, one more part of those systems, right? Uh, study after study has said that dress codes unfairly target uh, girls and people of color, people from marginalized communities. Um, and also uh, that uh, they perpetuate they perpetuate rape culture. Uh, they they perpetuate the victimization of of, of women, young girls, um, and also you know again people of, of marginalized communities. So it, it's not about the dress code. It's about what the dress code is doing in in our communities, in our societies, and what it represents. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then our everyone deserves dignity um, and, uh, and a sense of autonomy with your body. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that is being stripped away as we speak. We told you we would pop back in when it got to the end of time. And I was I was sitting here texting back and forth with Tanya because that's what we do. <laughs> and I was thinking of two books as from my college days, you know, um, as an English major. One Unbearable Weight by Susan Bordeaux, which was about body images. And this is like, you know, a 2004 publication. And then I studied with a woman named Leslie Haywood who wrote Pretty Good for a Girl. She was a student athlete and talking about the way her body's um, body was controlled um, by men in her life and, and coaches and in even her own her own self. And I was just thinking like, this is an issue that has been going on forever and always. And I think I think when you were talking, I put my thumb on why I love it so much. This, your text, your book, because it actually introduces the conversation that girls are already having and girls are having it with their mom and, and you know, their abuelas, right? The grandmothers. And what I also enjoyed as a male reader um, is that the males, the males weren't all horrible. They weren't all, you know, they weren't all the oppressors and they were part of the conversation. And, you know, the father stayed out of it, but was also a go, you know, gung ho, you know, human being. And I just, I thought that was really great. But as I also just loved the generations of women who were like, this is an ongoing, ongoing, ongoing conversation that has not been resolved. And that's, I think, some of the beauty of the book is the way that was woven in as uh, as Marlene, Marlena and, and, and uh, Ruby kind of work through all these issues. So that, that's my two cents. I, I thought your conversation was outstanding. Um, and before we go forward, we have a right out prompt, right? So Bryn, do you want to give the right out prompt? Yes. Um, Brian, that was a really nice transition because I do think that this book is for everyone. Um, it's a story about two specific characters, but I think that it has a lot for all of us to learn about um, how to be involved, how to speak up um, and speak out when we need to, and also how to listen when we need to. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple of questions here for our write out prompt. Um, write about an issue that matters to you. Uh, how is it showing up in your community? 
How does it impact you? Who else do you need to hear from to understand the issue? How might you hear from them? What did you learn from Elena and Ruby that you want to carry with you as you learn more, listen to others, and work for change? That is lovely. That is a lovely exit from this interview and from um, the uh, reading of this book. So thank you, Bryn. Thanks for your great questions. And um, uh, Maya. Bryn, that that was such a great great conversation. I mean, I, I could have I could I thought like I could I could have talked for another more another hour more. <laughs> yeah, Likewise. it was an amazing conversation. I want to thank you all. I want to thank you for this book that you put out in the world for um, everyone. I want to make a note of Brian's point, but for girls and their moms and the adult women who look after them, I think this is so. It's just such a helpful way to feel not alone in all the ways that we are um, facing the world right now. So I really want to thank you for that. Thank you all so much. It's been an honor to be here with you. Before we go, I want to thank listeners as well. Um, we are really glad that you're here and participating in these conversations or being able to hear these conversations and share them with the young people you live and work with. Um, if you want to be up to date, make sure you sign up for the NWP newsletter so you never miss a right time. Also, if you want to talk about this show or that implications for teaching and learning, please join us in the studio at studio.nwp.org. Um, you can find, um, if you're looking for this episode or others like it, you can follow, um, you can find our podcast at bit.ly and WP radio. Everyone have a great day. You're listening to NWP radio, a production of the national writing project. NWP. NWP radio.